If I can uh, have your attention, we're going to come together uh, to read God's Word. The sufferings of Christ uh, did not start at the cross. In fact, we could say that His suffering, His passion did not begin even just before the cross when He was beaten and uh, flogged by the soldiers. But in fact, uh, His sufferings and His passion, I could see it beginning that moment when uh, Judas arose in the upper room and walked away uh, of that place where they were. And Jesus knew at that moment that things were now in motion. And what did He do? He grabbed His disciples and He did something that He had done many, many times before with them. They went to Gethsemane to pray. And it was in that place where we see um, Christ experiencing not only His humanity, but the challenge of uh, the things that were uh, to come to Him that would indeed make Him the Savior of the world. Uh, even at that time, um, the idea of agony, love, and the idea of the willing spirit. And how this all comes together to give context uh, to the next 24 hours as uh, we know them as the Passion and we uh, remember them in Holy Week. So let us read now from Mark chapter 14. It's in your bulletins as well, beginning in verse 32. And when they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for this day. We remember how the story of the gospel came to history, came together as he was told from so long to the death of Christ, the innocent for the guilty, for the hope of your people. For in Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We all uh, go through life, of course, experiencing the agony, particularly when um, we are in life facing uh, praying and facing the challenges of life. And then we see that things may not be quite going the way we had hoped. 
Uh, and perhaps um, we struggle with how is God at work at any given moment. And, and perhaps when it seems like He's either not answering our prayers or His prayers are not what I was hoping. This is one thing we know from Jesus' experience at Gethsemane. That agony is something that comes to those that live in this world and are willing to love. In fact, I would say that the more you love, the more you love, the more you're likely to experience agony. And yet, love birthed this other human experience that Jesus became familiar with at that time. This idea of the willing spirit. That willing spirit that uh, is part of who we are and that God uses to take us through even when we think we may want to give up. So let us consider this idea of the agony. The agony of weakness, of temptation, of being vulnerable. There is no doubt that this was a night of weakness. Um, we see here Jesus experiencing it uh, and speaking of it, verse 33 says that he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. In verse 34, he tells uh, John, James, and Peter, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. It's, Jesus is telling them, I feel like I'm already dying. That's the intensity of the agony that was even upon him at that time. But why was Christ so troubled at that time? Was it because he was feeling lonely? Was it because he was anticipating um, the, the torture and the slow death of the cross? Was it because he had to have some people that would pray with him, that would pray for him? I think that all these things indeed are, are part of that agony that he was experiencing. But one of the things that um, I believe had to be very heavy on him was uh, this idea of weighing and carrying the weight of sin of the world upon himself. And, and granted, Jesus was a man that did not commit sin. He was not familiar with sin in that regard, but yet he lived in a broken world where sin abound. He, he ministered for three years. Uh, dealing and seeing the tragedy and the brokenness of sin. This a man who knew no sin and yet had to be ministering in the context of that world. And of course, uh, not only the weight of sin upon him, but this awareness that the Father would forsake him. Because there would be no other way the Father had to forsake him for, for him to effectively die on the cross Jesus had to be forsaken by the Father. He had to become sin itself. He had to become the Lamb of God. And surely this weighed heavy upon Him. But even as we contemplate those things that were part of such a, a distressing agony, we also see that this is all happening in the context of deep love. It was because He loved the Father that this was so hard. It was because he loved the disciples so deeply that he knew that this was so difficult. And we have to see that the context of agony 
is happening in the context of deep, deep love. And this is part of that uh, story. And we need to see that agony in the perspective of, of Christ's love for the Father and for His disciples. We see this agony in the context of love like these three times when Jesus goes to check on His uh, three closest disciples. And every time He finds them asleep. Now, what's interesting to me is that in the text, there's actually not one time when Jesus asks for the disciples to pray for Him. He, he, he never actually asked them to pray for Him. In verse 32, when He gathers the eleven, He simply says to them, Sit here while I pray. Then in verse 37 and 38, Jesus says, uh, addressing uh, the other three, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, you, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? And then he says in verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So even at that moment, he's not saying, pray for me. He's saying, pray for yourselves. So even at this moment where Christ is experiencing such heaviness, uh, so deep distress, He's still shepherding and caring for His disciples. For so deep was His love for them. He was concerned. He was worried. He told them at the beginning of that passage that the, as the shepherd would be uh, stricken, the sheep would be scattered. And that was heavy on his heart. What will happen with these disciples that have walked with me three years? As hard as this is going to be upon me, how is it going to be upon them? And just before Gethsemane, this meal that they had shared was for that very purpose. So that they knew that there was this new sacrament in the new covenant. This uh, Passover bread and, and wine that now Christ was instituting as a new sacrament that would be for them His presence, so that they knew He was with them, that He knew that He deeply loved them, that they knew that, that they would know that they needed His grace, His presence. That was His connection with them. He is in the context of that deep stress and love and agony for His disciples that He offers this sacrament unto them. That was his connection with them. And I ask, can such love and sacrifice change a person? Can each change us? Can we resist it? Or better, perhaps, can we trust in it? I think this love that gives context to agony also provides clarity and strength to this idea that we just read a moment ago of the willing spirit. This word spirit in the text is not referring to the Holy Spirit. It's actually referring to that part on every human being that's deep inside, that is the condition and the transformation of his soul, his mind, his very being. This part of who we are that we don't see, that others don't see, but that yet... 
either it drives us or it holds us back. That it ignites, ignites in us what is going to require for us as people to move on through the idea of perhaps giving, even giving up. This is the spirit that the text is referring to. Now, clearly these were not people that yet had knew the new birth, that the new spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, when He would come, would give them. In fact, we see a great contrast between these disciples that can even pray and watch with Jesus and those disciples, those very same disciples that one day would uh, give even their lives in many cases and that would suffer so much for Christ because it was the work of the Holy Spirit. But this text is speaking about our soul and our minds that have been renewed in the case of believers like you and I. And, and one of my favorite uh, texts in the Scripture that uh, deal with this is in Jeremiah 29. Perhaps you've heard this before. Jeremiah was an interesting prophet because his ministry, in a way, was a Gethsemane in itself. He had to preach the destruction of the city where he lived in Jerusalem, where people did not want to hear it, and he had to continue preaching even after it happened. One thing that Jeremiah, much like Jesus, much like the disciples later, maybe like us today, one thing he was hearing was, stop. Stop with Jesus. Stop talking about grace and the hope that you have in this uh, hope that is coming. And yet, Jeremiah, like Jesus, could not stop. This is how Jeremiah put it. He said, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it is, as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. That is the willing spirit. That is that soul, that part of us that has to connect with the idea of agony, with the idea of the willing spirit, that it's given context by love, that we may be able to go through the things that Christ wants us in His will to endure. It is evident from the text that prayer is crucial here. This is what Jesus wanted the disciples to do for themselves. This is what He knew that He had to do. For it was in prayer that this willing spirit would be fed, that it would grow, and that in a mysterious way we could even say, get stronger. And I say that there is this aspect of mystery to this prayer because you see in verse 36... Jesus starts his prayer by saying, Father, all things are possible for you. That's his first assumption. Prayer can change things. If something was driving him to pray that day was that he could be delivered. And in fact, he could. Because he reminded uh, uh, at some point Peter, when Peter tried to save him, and it's almost like Jesus saying, no, I must save you through this road. Don't you know I can call a legion of angels? So Jesus starts the prayer by saying, all things are possible for you. But then on the other hand, is this notion that God has a will that must be accepted, that can be trusted, and that it should not be altered even in prayer this Jesus knew 
And it was part of this mystery of prayer that strengthened our spirit and our soul. The point here is that it is not up to us as it was not up to Jesus. Uh, knowing that He can answer and do anything that we shouldn't but submit to His will, to trust in His plan. In fact, our peace and our joy are more firmly grounded not in the notion that I may get what I want, but that day I should align my will with the will of God. So then prayer is not magical. Prayer is not the spiritual mechanism that we have. But prayer is but the means of God's grace for His people. That we can come to seek His will even when it's hard to grasp. Even when we struggle with this. And it was this knowledge that gave Christ this sense of priority, even at that time, so that indeed he could rest in trusting the Father with a willing, with a willing spirit. Of course, the question is what about us? Can we have this willing spirit in prayer? Can we face life's hardships? And when God's will seems not to be aligning with what I want in my life, and of course the answer is yes. And the key is this. We have to love Jesus. We have to love Him well enough that we know Him. Well enough that we can see how much He loves us. That in that we might give context to our agony as He did, that we may understand the love that He is given unto us and that we may have and be strengthened in the willing spirit. This all was part of the story that would culminate in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. His death for the sins of His people and that He would rise again and that all these stories, even of the struggles of the disciples, would be weaved into the story of people that weren't transformed by the gospel and by the Spirit of God. This was the gospel, the ministry that allowed Jesus to even that day as well, as we know in the gospel of John, that He gave them this one great and new commandment, love a new commandment I give to you. Love one another like I have loved you. So then we know that the gospel speaks to our hearts. Even in the midst of agony. Not to erase the agony. But to weave it in the very story of grace. That we will strengthen our spirit even as we trust in the Lord that we may face the day of trouble with a renewed and willing spirit. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your goodness. And Father, that even in Gethsemane, where in a very deep way you experience the agony because you love so much. That that would be ours today. That we would be strengthened this day. Even by that gift that you gave the disciples that very night. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.